0: Hey, so glad you're here today. We're going to bow, we're going to get uh, pray, we're going to get right into God's uh, Word and uh, just talk about a life that was changed on this particular day, the results of resurrection power. Father, thank you so much for your Word. Thank you for the fellowship of believers as we gather around the significant truth today that Christ has been raised from the dead. Unleash the power of your Spirit in our lives using your Word And Lord, we look forward to what you will build into our lives today, what you will confirm and reconfirm in our spirits, how you will minister and encourage and build us up. Uh, Do that work now in our lives by the power of your spirit through your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a few days before Christ was crucified on the cross... He met with his disciples and he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, or as the old King James said, many uh, mansions. And so a lot of us as Christians, we look forward to the day when we will actually finish living out the gift of life that God has given us in this life, and we will move to eternal life, and we will move into our place of dwelling that Jesus has prepared for us I love the thought and I've often used it in memorial services that the carpenter on planet earth heads to heaven to prepare a place for you and me and our Lord has done that and when you see one who has loved him and served him their life and you know they've left this life they've moved into their place of eternal dwelling. It's a beautiful thing. I think as we Christians talk about that significant moment, we know how it's wrapped around the truth of today that Christ is resurrected. He has conquered sin. He has conquered death. There is life after the grave, and that is what Christianity boasts, the great hope that we have in Christ. A lot of us, when we get to heaven, we're looking forward to moving into that new place Jesus has prepared. We're certainly looking forward to re-engaging with loved ones and friends. Perhaps some of you, like me, I'm looking forward to meeting certain people out of church history or the New Testament, Old Testament scriptures, and finding out what their pilgrimage was more like. But ultimately, it is about uh, meeting Jesus, is it not? To see the one who died in our place. One of the ones that I'm looking forward to uh, to meeting someday is Peter. Uh, Good old Peter, the guy that puts his foot in his mouth. The guy who said so many marvelous things and also put his foot in his mouth. His greatest strength, his greatest weakness kind of a thing. There's a great passage in Matthew chapter 16 where where Jesus is uh, chatting with his disciples and he says to them at one point who do people say that I am and Peter, spokesman for the twelve steps up and he gets it right a bullseye he says you are the Christ the Messiah the son of the living God for 2,000 years theologians and Bible students have been unpacking that statement how did he get it so right how did he understand it at that point point? and yet he did he nailed it And a couple of verses later then, he reversed the trend and he stuck his foot in his mouth. Because just a couple of verses later, Jesus is saying, okay, now I'm going to be leaving you very soon. And and, and I have to die. And Peter pipes right up and says, oh no, Lord, may it never happen to you. Open mouth, insert foot. And Jesus turned to him and said, get behind me, Satan. What a contrast. Within five verses of each other, Peter goes from one of the great theological statements, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, and he goes all the way to being a tempter to the Lord Jesus. Don't go to the cross. You can't die. Wow. His mouth. I guess this is maybe one of the reasons why I like Peter so much, because he's just so human. We've all been there. Peter becomes one of the great spokesmen of the early church. He, he, he was certainly in the disciples of the 12. He was in the group of the inner three. What do we call them? Peter, James, and John. Who's the first one mentioned? Peter. Yeah, that's, he's the guy. And so the three show up at special moments in the ministry of Christ, things like the transfiguration on the mountain where Peter's there and he sees the glorified Christ, just amazing things. Peter is on track for a great career in the kingdom of God, there's no question about it, until the moment he catastrophically messes up. And boy, when he messed up, he really messed up. I want to focus today on the change that happens in a person's life as a result of the resurrected Christ. Had it not been for the resurrected Christ, Peter was finished. Absolutely finished. I want to go to that moment here today and focus on that and that moment where Peter catastrophically failed. We can all identify at some level. We can First of all, I want to begin with a prediction that Jesus made regarding Peter's failure. Peter actually told, or Jesus actually told Peter, you're going to deny me. He's very clear. In Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 31, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. He just wants to play out your deck and ruin you. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Would you notice that Jesus begins by saying, certainly this tempter wants to take you out. He wants to just sift you and ruin you. But I have prayed for you. Would you please underscore that in your thinking? And while you're underscoring it about Peter, remember that Jesus now is at the right hand of God interceding for you. Perhaps the truth of Jesus' prayer for you will become powerful and special in your moments of discouragement, in your moments of Christian failure. Jesus is now predicting, Peter, you're going to mess up big time, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. You've had those moments in your life, we have all had them, when we mess up and we just figure it's over. Nothing good can come of this. God can never use me again. Jesus has prayed for Simon Peter and that his faith would not fail. And when you have turned back, notice the when, not if you turn back. Jesus prayed for Peter, and Jesus knew Peter was going to return. When you come back, then strengthen your brothers. I still have a ministry for you, Peter, even after this catastrophic failure that is coming. Well, I'm sure Peter, you know, didn't really know what to do with that. Because in the next two verses, Peter says, But Lord, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will three times, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Please be very careful of the moments in life when you think your resolve is is so strong, you will die for him, you will go to prison for him. And when you disagree with God, who do you think's wrong? Well, it's sure not God. So often we trick ourselves into thinking our resolve, our, our, our whole perspective of God is so big and we love him so much and we would do anything for him. Look out after that because the catastrophic failures might be coming. That's exactly what is happening to Peter in this passage and he can't even see it yet. Lord, I'll go to prison. I will die for you. Jesus says you have no idea what you're talking about today before the rooster crows you will deny me three times what how can that possibly be I underscore that Jesus has prayed for Peter this Peter has an idea of what he wants to do and be in the kingdom of God he has no idea what Jesus is gonna do in fact when Jesus Brings him back and restores him. Jesus opened doors of ministry for this man like he could have never imagined. Do you realize in the first early years of the church, the first dozen chapters of the book of Acts are focused around one key leader, and his name was Peter. That's the guy who is about to fail. And he thinks it's all going to be over. He's finished. He's got nothing left to offer. And Jesus says, I've prayed for you, and when you are restored, Minister, encourage my children. That's the prediction. What a way to go. It's in that early church. Early on in Acts chapter 2, a big sermon is preached. And, and, and on that day, 3,000 people came to Christ. Who was the preacher? Peter. Who was at the Roman Catholic Church considered to be their first pope? Peter the guy who catastrophically failed, if you have had your struggles and you just think there is no way God could ever use you, this is the man to look at. He is so much like us. He is so human. And the key is that Jesus prayed for him. So now that the prediction has been made, his catastrophic failure, let's look at the failure. Luke chapter 22, same chapter, few verses later. Starting at verse 56, after Jesus has gone out to the garden and the disciples have fallen asleep while they're supposed to be praying, the mob comes, Judas gives the kiss of betrayal and then Jesus is taken by the mob and he goes through a series of kangaroo courts all night long. He's up the whole night. While that's happening, Peter's getting close, trying to find out what's happening to Jesus. Jesus is in trials. He's outside the building, waiting the results. Here we are in verse 56, a servant girl. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Strike one. There it is. First of the three. He denied it. Woman, woman, you don't know. I, I, I don't know him. The first denial. Would you notice how Peter is intimidated by a servant girl? In a day and an age that time when women were very much anything but powerful, in a day and age in which not only a woman, but she's a servant woman, Peter is intimidated by this gal. And he denies knowing the Lord Jesus, the very one that he said just a few hours before, I'll go to prison. I will die for you. I know, Lord. I know my heart. No, you don't know your heart. You just think you do. That's the first occurrence. Verse 58. A little later. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You are... You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. Have you ever noticed how when you blow it once, it's easy to blow it a second time? Strike two. Verse 59, here comes strike three. Peter's going to be out. He's going to be sitting on the bench. About an hour later, About another hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. His dress is probably his accent. Peter replied, Man, I don't even know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. (laughs) What's your best rooster imitation? You know, crank it out, go ahead. what about to happen is probably one of the saddest moments in the life of Peter. Verse 61. From inside the building, the Lord turns. Jesus turns and he looks out a window and his glance catches Peter's glance as the rooster is crowing. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then the Lord remembered the word of the Lord. He had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. The term weep bitterly is a term that means violent weeping, sobbing. He shook. He could not believe this could happen. How could he possibly do this? After all he had seen for three years of miracles and heard the teachings of Jesus. And he had been on the mountain of transfiguration and seen so many things that God had done. After just hours before saying, Lord, I'll go to prison. I will die for you. It will never happen. And he did it anyhow. This is a significant moment in this man's life. And of course, what we have here is a man who's just leaning on his own understanding. I, I, I know I'll live for the Lord. I know I'll serve him. I know he's got great things planned for me. And then you blow it, and you conclude with great certainty it's over. The very certainty that you had before, you're sure you will serve him, you will never deny him, is the exact same certainty that now you have. It's over. You're sure of it. You were wrong before and you're still wrong. You can't see it though. There's no sense of hope left here. All is lost. For Peter, he must feel it's over. His dreams are shattered. Please remember, Jesus prayed for him. In your deep and your dark problems, your moments, would you please remember that the resurrected Christ is at the right hand of God the Father and he intercedes for you. You may be certain it's over. You may be certain you have nothing to offer and God could not significantly use you. Peter's life was about to change. It would change as a result of this day that we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Within hours after the trial, Jesus is nailed to the cross and he dies. Peter continues in this state, I never stood for him. Weeping bitterly, just destroyed in his spirit. Feeling it is all over now. He did not do his part. But three days later, on Easter Sunday, Jesus rose. And with them, the whole game changed. And Peter's life would be changed. Now, I wish I could take you to the chapter and verse where that meeting took place between Jesus and Peter. I can't do it. Here's the closest I can come. Here is where Peter gets his second chance, if you would. In the resurrection chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting to read in verse 4, and that Jesus was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at one time, and then he appeared to James, and to all the apostles, and last of all Peter, Paul says, and he appeared to me too. We know that there were about a dozen, at least a dozen appearances of Jesus after his death and resurrection to his followers. Who was the first appearance to? Peter. I wish I could have been a fly on the wall there. A Peter who is absolutely, totally destroyed. A broken man. No hope whatsoever. And Jesus, the great encourager, says, My prayers are answered. You're going to come back. And I'm going to use you. This is the day Peter's life changed. We really don't know anything more about that encounter. We just know that it took place. We don't know when and where. We just know it was the first resurrection appearance of Jesus, according to 1 Corinthians 15. There were other appearances where Jesus appeared to the disciples. Peter would have been there, too. But Peter had his one-on-one with Jesus. I want to take you... To John chapter 21, the final chapter of the book of John where Jesus appears to the disciples and Peter's in the group and actually Jesus restores him for a future ministry at this time. Peter and the other disciples have been in the boat all night and they've been fishing and they've caught zip. These are experienced fishermen. They know what they're doing. They've caught a big Zero. Voice on shore, it's Jesus. Hey, guys, not caught anything all night? Throw your nets on the other side of the ship. That sounds like insanity to a fisherman. They do it, and the scripture records how many fish? 153 fish. Read the story, John 21. Not 150-ish, 153 Why is the number so clearly distinguished? You know the story of fishermen. Everything gets stretched. Oh, there were a million in that net! 153. They had never had a catch like that. A number was put on it. This would never be forgotten. 2,000 years later, here we are still reading 153. Jesus encourages them to bring the fish to shore. Time for a fish fry. Time they get there, Jesus already has fish. Where to get the fish? He's Jesus. He's got fish. Fish fry is going on. In John chapter 21, Jesus now turns his attention to Peter. He says in verse 15 When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you truly love me more than these? What's the these? Nets, boats, buddies that you're fishing with. Jesus says, do you love me more than this stuff in your world? Jesus has already restored him. They've met privately. Now Jesus is going to restore him to ministry. What is Jesus? Simon responds. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus responds, feed my lambs. You had some catastrophic failure in your walk with Jesus. You messed up and you thought it was all over. He knows that you love him. You just blew it. Welcome to humanity. Welcome to Peterville. We've all done it. He knows you love him. And that love for him becomes a great motivating factor in life. Jesus has restored Peter, and now what does he say to a man? You love me. That's great. Feed my lambs. I still have work for you to do. Peter's so certain, okay, I've been restored, but I I could never serve the Lord again. I denied him. I'm worthless. You are worth more. Don't trust that certainty of your spirit. Let it go. And just hear the words of Jesus, I have work for you to do. This is the difference that Easter makes in a believer's life. Look at the next verse, verse 16. Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? (laughs) Peter's saying, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, take care of my sheep. wow, Jesus has asked the same question two times and he's about to do it a third time. Why would Jesus keep beating on Peter three times? Because Jesus denied the Lord three times. And so now the truth of not just with he's forgiven, he's already been forgiven. Jesus is sealing a truth deep within Peter's heart. Not do you love me? Of course you love me, Peter. I know you love me, but I'm asking a question to prove a point to you. I've got work for you to do. You got to trust me. And everything in your spirit's telling you, I'll never use you again. Jesus says the second time, uh, Take care of my sheep. Lord, you know I love you. Then comes the third time. Look at it carefully in verse 17. The third time he says, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter denied the Lord three times. Strike one, strike two, strike three. Now it is time for his certainty to strike out. love me feed my sheep strike one love me feed my sheep strike two love me feed my sheep stop trusting in your certainty that you think you can do this and let me use you Peter was deeply hurt I think this third time Peter realized three denials and now three questions I get the picture Most of us think the story is over there. It's not. What Jesus did here was he just set up an entire life of service for Peter. And he's going to use Peter in powerful ways in the early church. As a result of these three questions that Jesus asks Peter, now Jesus makes another prediction. Remember the first time? prayed for you. You're going to fall, but I've prayed for you. Restore you. I want you to feed my brother. I want you to take care of my brothers. Here's the prediction that Jesus makes. Starting in verse 18, Jesus now says, after the three do you love me? feed my sheep. He says, I tell you the truth. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands. That's a very vague statement to us. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God when he said to him, follow me. Jesus is saying, I am now making a prediction. I pray that you would be restored I've challenged you to serve my people and I'm telling you someday at the end of your life when you are old your hands will be stretched out and you will die for me the scriptures don't give us these facts but we know what happened from church history we know that as Peter took the gospel to Rome he was arrested he was tried and he was crucified. Your hands will be stretched out after a lifetime of service for the one that you love that forgave you. Church history is very clear about the way that Peter was crucified. We are certain from Peter's crucifixion that he was still remembering the story Of his three denials Peter felt unworthy to be crucified as his Lord Jesus was so Peter requested of his persecutors that he be crucified upside down he was not worthy to be crucified as his Lord you see he got the picture Peter had been restored, and God was going to use him significantly through the first dozen chapters of the book of Acts. The ministry of the church centers around Peter. He's the one that preaches the sermon in a few days in Acts 2, where 3,000 people come to Christ. He is the one that is performing the miracles, and he will even die on a cross like Jesus does. But out of humility and realizing he had failed, he wants to be crucified upside down. He never forgot. He learned his lesson. And yes, he loved the Lord Jesus. There was no question. Peter's life was changed as a result of the resurrected Christ. Have you blatantly, disobediently chosen some sin over your Savior? And you think it's over. You just messed up. God could never use you again. The story of our God is that he loves and he forgives. And because of that, we love him. And and I don't doubt in your heart you love Jesus. But your action surely didn't show it. You catastrophically blew it. When Jesus restores, he will build on that love that you have for him. He will not build on your personal convictions, and I'm going to do this for you, Lord, and I'll do it. Do you love him? That's the requirement. You're forgiven in Christ, and your life is changed. And from you, and through that instance, Jesus has secured lifelong service of you for Him. That's what He has done. Jesus is the one who provides second chances, He will use us when we are certain we can't be used. And I don't doubt that there's probably at least one or two people in this room or online with us today that really need the assurance of stop trusting in your own certainty of the way you see this happening. Don't lean on your understanding. Lean on the fact that he loves, he forgives, he prays for you, and he will use you in lifelong ministry. That's what resurrection power can do. It's a game changer. For the sake of all of those online and for the people in this room today, we want to go through God's great plan of salvation one more time. Stop leaning on your own perception that you can think you can be good enough to get into heaven. You cannot. Your sin keeps you out. That is the problem, but God solved the problem because he loved you. And Jesus came into this world and he was punished for your sin. You don't have to be punished for your sin. Jesus took it for you so you can be forgiven. That's what his death on the cross was all about. And as he hung on that cross, God, the Father, poured his divine, perfect wrath on his own son for your sin. And then Christ came back from the dead showing he had conquered sin, he had conquered death. And the game has now changed. And we respond out of love. And we serve him not to get into heaven, that's already taken care of. He's provided us a home in heaven, forgiveness of sin. If you're here today and you've never understood that or now it's coming clear to you that this is what you need to do, I ask you right now in this moment of time to simply pray in your heart, in your mind, God, I know I'm a sinner. I need Jesus to forgive my sins based on what he did for me on that cross. He died for me. Just tell him. God's waiting for you to acknowledge that and trust him as your Savior. Get out of the Savior business yourself. Don't let your perceptions think you can do this. Jesus has done it for you. And let that turn you into a lover of Jesus that will not quit lifelong even when you fail. Because we're all like Peter. We have our good moments. And we have our bad moments. But God uses us anyhow. Father, I thank you so much for the life, the ministry of Peter. We do look forward to seeing him someday. But ultimately, we look forward to seeing the Lord Jesus who loved us and died for our sins, who's forgiven us. And what a great plan of salvation you have given. And I pray for each one here online or in the room today that all of us here will be claiming Jesus and Jesus alone as our Savior. And may our lives... As much as we question ourselves and we don't think you could use us, may our lives be a demonstration of your faithfulness in us and working through us to do your work. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.